Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Emeralds Sports Desk Report. Um, it's week eight winter term, and I'm definitely feeling that. Finals are coming up, and the host here is going to Vegas next week for the men's basketball tournament. So the team is interesting. They won yesterday 84-51 to 51 against Cal um, in Matthew Knight. Uh, I think there were four players in double digits. Tyrone Williams was one, was one of them. And Coach Allman had a lot of praise for him. Like it was, he he had a really good game. He hadn't played a, uh, a high volume of minutes in a long time, and he came in because Brendan Rigsby was hurt. We learned after that he's out for the season, so Tyrone might have a role moving forward. It was sloppy at first, but the Ducks turned it into an onslaught halfway through the first half. I noticed that they started uh, their offense started going crazy when uh, Jermaine Kuznard started he he had a run where he scored he had 17 points in the game he had 13 of of the ducks 18 points um as they were sending their lead so he scored in a hurry he got hot in a hurry hit some threes on in transition and when he gets going the offense i think is at its at its best because he really just scores within the flow of the game and he doesn't take a lot of time to get his buckets either what do you think about the game Renan? yeah i think that's a great great assessment uh yeah the beginning was just sloppy 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 i don't know how many turnovers happened in the first five or so minutes but they got it together like you said kuznard got hot and after he got hot just shots started falling gurrier had some nice shots tyrone williams like you said i thought the guard play was really well they did a great job getting to the rim uh, i thought richardson looked good in his kind of fa- facilitator role mm-hmm. uh, i think kuznard is definitely the the best scorer on this team and that's something they need to to keep going with. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got good win over Cal, 30 points. Of course, you're supposed to beat Cal. Very winnable game against Stanford before the tournament. Uh, they're getting hot, and that's good because this is the time that you need to. Right, and if they beat Stanford, I, they should beat Stanford. But I, I say if because they lost earlier in the year. They should beat Stanford, and if they do, they have the four seed. So they have a bye. They're hot. That means they, they basically have to... I think if they win two games, they they probably make the NCAA tournament because that means they lose in the championship. And if they lose in the championship, it's going to be to UCLA, which is one of the best teams in the country right now. Like, undoubtedly a top five team, and they play like it. They're a powerhouse. So if Oregon makes it to the championship of that tournament, loses by a, double, a single digits again to UCLA like just they did last month, I think they have a spot. What do you think about that? Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. I think at the five seed, I don't know who they're slated to play. Is it is it Stanford, Colorado? Uh, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be Cal. It's gonna be the twelve seed uh, of the tournament because if they're the five seed, they play the bottom seed because the first four teams uh, get a get a buy. Right. Yeah. No, I definitely think they can make a run. Uh, they need to close out this game. Uh, the margin for error is non-existent at this point, right? Yeah. Like they they can't afford to lose that game. Um, they're not gonna they're not gonna win the tournament unless they don't get a buy. Right. Because even if like. You call Calabai, just the process of winning four games is tough mm-hmm. in a row. Mm-hmm. Like in that I play every day function. I just think that's really right. Tough. Do yeah. you think they should stick with this same rotation going into the tournament with Biddle and Dante down low and then uh I think Biddle's been playing well. Yeah. I think he's been playing well. He's he talked about uh playing off Dante at their press conference um this past week at, at the practices. And I, I think like they I think that's better for him because I don't think he's a natural, like, in the post big. Like, he is a wing. Like, he's a shooter, pick-and-pop guy. Like He was taking shots. Yeah. Yeah, he really was. And, and the thing is, like, he's a good shot blocker when he's disciplined. Sometimes he'll, like, overcommit and won't be able to, like, won't be able to catch up, won't be able to move his feet well. But when he's, like, in the right position, 
He's he's a good shot blocker, so they, I think he's decent. Yeah, he attempted the second most threes on the team in that game behind really? only Kuznard. Yeah, I mean wow. he only made one of them. But something else I do want to also throw in there. Uh, I feel like the free throw shooting has been getting a lot better. I know they were at sixty one point five percent, but I mean that has been an Achilles heel for this team last year and leading up to this season. And that, those points definitely matter, especially in when you get into crunch time. So I, I think that's hopefully that continues. I think one of the things that Altman was talking about this week was that, yeah, the the close games they're having, and two of them were losses against Washington and Washington State, like, those, you don't want to be in close games against those teams that aren't as good as you, but, like, having that experience is going to be helpful down the road, like, because every game in, in March is close, so you got to have to know what to do in those positions. What's been weird for me, and you mentioned this earlier, like, I think their best shot creator is Kuznart. They got to get him the ball in those moments, you know? That one game, Keyshawn was going crazy, so, like, keep feeding him. But you got to recognize who the guys are in those final minutes. So I I definitely think, like, they're getting a lot of experience in those games. And, yeah, right now, so these Pac-12 standings have been weird because when we were looking at the women's last week, it showed Oregon was below Washington, but then was the higher seed in the bracket. Right now, it has Oregon right below Arizona State. And I think that's because they haven't played USC for a second time yet, Arizona mm-hmm. State. So after that it, game. Yeah, Arizona State also has a better out-of-conference record. I don't know if that matters at all in the seeding. But they're 20 and 10 and Oregon's 17 te- and 13. I think the first tiebreaker is teams ranked above them in the Pac-12. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, they have the same yeah. record. They're both 11 and 8. Yeah. But, like, Arizona State has a worse record against USC is, I guess, the tiebreaker. I don't know. It's weird. But I, I was just hearing that, like, Oregon controls its own destiny. And if it beats um, Stanford, then it's it has the four seed. So, yeah, they, if the, in the five, if you look at it, they would play Cal. And then if they were to win that game, they would play UCLA in the second round. And I think that's what they need to avoid. So a few other things in men's basketball that I wanted to touch on. Outside of Oregon in the Pac-12 tournament, like wh- who are some of the teams you're looking at? We mentioned UCLA. Like they look like they're a juggernaut. I saw one of these stats that like they're one of the teams, they're one of the top teams in the nation in not turning it over, but use their defense to create turnovers, and that's a stat that correlates to winning in March. And like we saw it, like in the second half, Jalen Clark had like three steals in a row and turned it into turned it into fast break layups on the other side. So like I like them in general outside of the Pac-12 tournament. I think they're gonna make a, a deep run. And if you lose to them in, in the Pac-12 tournament, like, it's not a bad loss. So I think I think they're really good. I think Arizona's completely beatable. They've lost to some bad teams this year. Yeah. Um, they have some really streaky streaky games and then cold games, too. So what do you think about the Pac-12 tournament? UCLA's the team to beat 100%. Uh, but the Cougars have won six straight. Mm, that's a good point. Some and those Bamba wins. had 36 in their last game. Mm-hmm. And they beat Arizona. You just said they were beatable. But they yeah. beat Arizona by more than 10 points. Wow, yeah. Uh, they beat USC as well. Uh, a couple of the, those other ones were pretty easy. They beat Cal. They beat you know Stanford. Lost to Utah, so they're definitely streaky. But I mean, you don't know. You have these teams in the tournaments that just make these crazy, crazy runs. Uh, I know Colorado was kind of one of those teams last year. They were like the five seed. Did they make it to the championship? I could be mistaken on that. Um, I think they lost because it was Arizona, UCLA, and the championship. But they were they were good. I remember they had Jabari Walker, who's on uh, Portland, Portland, yeah, now. Trailblazers. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I think UCLA. Arizona, I don't, I don't think I can trust last year. Part of that is also because I had them going far in my bracket last year, and they, uh-huh. they broke my heart along with Gonzaga. But you've been, uh, you've been following any college basketball after our last talk? A little bit, a little bit more. I, I'm definitely trying to get in on that bracket challenge. I don't know, is there a buy-in? Okay, yeah, what, we what are can, we thinking? Uh, no, we won't do a buy-in. We're a casual, student-run organization. <laughs> we don't got money. Nonprofit. 
Uh, last thing I want to touch on, Washington State. Me and my dad are going to the tournament, and he has he loves their coach. He's like this little like Italian dude who just goes crazy at, at the refs. He's funny. There there are some interesting characters. It's cool. It's like a bubble for like four days because you just see all the like basketball teams walking around the casinos, and you just recognize faces, and you see you know people that have played against each other, or people that are going to play each other next. Like it's a cool environment. I would recommend not staying in Vegas for longer than your team is playing there. It's a gross city. It smells like cigarette smokes everywhere. My first time there was last, my first time there when I was 21 or older was last year. And I, we stayed five days uh, and Oregon lost the second day we were there. We stayed a fifth day because our flight got canceled. But like by the midway through the fourth day, I was just so done with the whole city. Like it is. It's a shit show. So my grandparents live there. Aaron. Well, they probably don't live on the strip. No, they yeah. don't. Far from it. All right. Well, that's that's all I have for uh, men's basketball. Let's move on to a team that's now done with Vegas, uh, the women's basketball team. So they won their first game, nail biter against Washington. Uh, the, the veteran guards, Tina Pau Pau and India uh, Rogers, they went crazy in that game, and they they really carried them. Pau Pau had a good game against Stanford, but just fell a little bit short. Um, Stanford's a really good team, and Nina's here with us. Nina, what did you see in that game? So Stanford's very similar to UCLA, like when you're talking about men's basketball. They're the team to be, especially in the Pac-12 with Cameron Brink, um, Haley, all those, all those players. Like, they they have a target on their back. Um, I thought they were, had good performance. They honestly like outdid my expectations. I thought it was going to be a complete blowout and they got within six with, by the third quarter, even though they ended up losing by 11 compared to a team that had a seven game losing streak towards the end of the season and only won and won the last two. And they were starting to build up their momentum. I thought it was going to go a lot worse. So I'm very happy with how it turned out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, they are like, on the bubble like they're the definition of the bubble like what are your thoughts do you think they make it i this is something i've been thinking about the past couple days and i honestly don't know everything is so up in the air right now that it really depends like how other teams are doing in their conference tournaments i Mm -hmm. on like i can't tell you yeah um okay actually i just wanted to correct one thing for the men's basketball if Oregon's a five seed and wins, they don't play UCA in the second round. They play Arizona State in the second round. So I just wanted to correct that. But yeah, kind of going back to the women's, I saw a tweet today. Like, uh, let me find it. It was like, basically, Oregon fans should be fans of, um, I think it was Arkansas. Like, just to, to root for a certain team. I'm trying to find the tweet. Well, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I know what tweet you're talking about. But, like, it depends on how other conference yeah. tournaments are going. Like, there's really nothing Oregon They can't control can, it. Right. Yeah. So you just kind of have to hope for other teams outside of the Pac-12, yeah, for and for it to fall in our favor. Yeah, um, I guess what are some some of the things you've seen this like this past run that, that they've been good. At? I mean, Van Sluten came back, right? Like they, they were completely yeah, she, healthy. Yep. So the reason why they snapped their seven-game losing streak and beat a top 25 team is because of Tahina Pow Pow, mm-hmm. and she was in a shooting slump during those seven games and. She ended up finishing the season with, I believe, four straight 20-point-plus games, and that started against Arizona. Um, so when those when Tahina and India are both on and shooting well, that's when the Ducks win. I, I mean, you guys all saw it. The seven-game losing streak was super hard to watch, and it was because of the poor shooting. Um, so their performance really depends on the outcome, which can be a really big toss-up for teams. Mm-hmm. Moving, on from, moving on from that, 
just like I, I think just in the this would be the first year in how long they wouldn't make the March Madness tournament if, if they don't get it. It was ridiculous. It's been ridiculous. Um, I was listening to the press conference and Kelly was talking about that. This is the first time since 2017 that they played in the first on the first day. Wow. He's talked about how weird it was flying in the night before and having to play that afternoon because that's just not Oregon used to be the team like Stanford. They had a target on their back. They had that rest day where they would do team bonding activities and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And now they're they're the first team. And it was a nail biter. It wasn't even a blowout. They lo- they won by two against Washington thanks to a chance great free throw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know the season's not potentially not over yet. But I just got a question for you, Nina. I, I know a lot of the press with the women's basketball team has been. You know, they lost a lot of people. Sabali left. Sedona Prince yeah. went out to injury. But they also had a lot of people transfer out, like role players like Sydney Parrish and Kylie Watson. Yeah. And do you think that that had to do with kind of their lack of success this season? In a way, yes. I think because our team is mostly freshmen and transfers of people coming in, they just haven't had that moment to gel yet. There hasn't been that core person, couple teammates, besides Tahina, really, that has been there. And Tahina's definitely shown she's comfortable playing with a Ducks uniform on. But we just, it's important. It's a team sport for a reason, you know. More people need to contribute if they want to see more success. There was one thing I wanted to go back to men's basketball and talk about. So Kiji wrote a story on Kalel Ware um, and kind of like how his season has gone. We've chronicled it on this podcast. One thing he said that I resonated with was that, like, Kalel Ware... It might be a similar story to what happened with Nate Biddle, where like Biddle barely played last year, and now this year he's playing like 25, 30 minutes a game, and he's playing really well. Like we just talked about blocking shots, hitting, uh, knocking down threes, playing within the flow of the game. Like, really ha- is a big part of this team, and maybe that's what Ware's destiny is. Like Ware was never going to play over Dante. Dante's a much better player than he is right now, you know. And maybe he stays another year because his stock has fallen like crazy, like. I still think that he's going to be a first-round pick because he's a seven-foot big who can shoot and is athletic. But he, like, respectfully doesn't put in any effort on the court. Like, there are times where he just is moping around. Like, it's crazy. So I think he could benefit from another year. I think it would be good for the team. Like, him in that Dante spot playing alongside Biddle with, like, three guards that that Ducks have coming in and and Mookie, Kwame Evans, and Jackson Selstad, I think it would be really cool to see him again here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it would be ridiculous if he left now. You know, I mean, he had a good game last night, 10 points, but, I mean, yeah, the production hasn't been there. I mean, you just said he wasn't going to start over Dante. His game but... was opened up by Brady Parrish. So. Yeah, and he's not even starting over Biddle right now. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I think he need, definitely needs to stay and, and hone his craft. I, I think with those guys coming in, like you mentioned, Kwame Evans and Mookie Cook, yeah. the spotlight is definitely going to be on Oregon, which is going to be good publicity for him and maybe increase his draft stock. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I can't really explain it. The effort thing, I can't explain. I mean, obviously, I don't know the guy personally, but... He'll get there. I mean, the guy's an incredible talent. The intangibles are just insane. Yeah, like, I there, there's there been spurts, you know? It's just, like, it seems that since he's not starting over Dante, it's like, what's the point of playing 16 minutes on the bench, you know? Um, which makes sense. Yeah, one more thing I want to talk about. The NFL Combine is going on. Oregon has a few players there. Uh, Noah Sewell, DJ Johnson, Alex Forsyth, TJ Bass... Sala, not going to pronounce his whole name, and then the headliner, Christian Gonzalez, who I've seen as high as number five. He ran a blazing 40 today. 4.38. He caught 4.4 uh, on his second attempt. Yeah, okay. I saw 4.38 unofficial. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. he's going to make a lot of money. He's an interesting kid. Like, I've written multiple, sto- written multiple sport stories on him, talked to his family. Like, he's a really quiet kid. He's always been talented. Um, and just to see, like, 
he's he's a humble guy. Like he just to see him rise up the draft board is pretty cool. Like Oregon has has had a lot of guys up there recently. Kayvon Kayvon panned out pretty well. He probably should have gone number two in that draft behind Hutchinson. Like if if we're redoing that, Hutchinson goes one, he goes two. It was just some some character things or whatever. But like Oregon's produced some good guys recently. One of my favorite stories about Christian is he kind of has that like inspiring sports stories that everybody loves to see in movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he almost quit because he was placed on JV2 in high sc- his freshman year of high school yeah. and didn't play. Like He was benched on JV2, and you know how discouraging that can be, right? And now look at where he is. So I think a lot of people are going to love him coming into the NFL draft. Yeah, let me see. so let me bring up my Christian Gonzalez, and we can bring up some... Uh... Some anecdotes real quick. The one thing that I remember from doing that story, because it was a really big piece. I did it over spring break and stuff and like spring camp and stuff. So I got a lot of interviews. I remember TriQuest Bridges said that he's a really good cook. And I was like, okay. Like, he, I was like, what does he what does he cook up? And he's like, he, he cooks a really good pasta. And I was like, okay, okay. So uh, he's a well-liked guy. Like, I think he's quiet, but he's someone that like will fit well in an NFL locker room. Um, I think he's probably the only uh, Oregon guy. I mean, I think one of these linemen might be able to go in the, in the first round, but he'll go pretty high. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a fan favorite. 100%. It's a lot of – have you noticed that the, the trend has been in the secondary? A lot of, like, corners and safeties yeah. getting drafted from Oregon. Javon Holland in Miami. Uh, Verone McKinley, he didn't get drafted, but he was on the active roster. Uh, Lenore, Thomas Graham, a, a lot of guys like that. But, no, I think Gonzo's – he's going to do great. He's – he. He plays a lot like Pat Sertan. I mean, obviously, Brady well, he's, can't he's, back me he's, up on this. He's physical. Michael Bronco. Exactly. Just, I mean, the way he presses, he's what, 6'1", six, six roughly, something like that, but plays like he's 6'5". Yeah, and then that for a guy like that to run a 4.4440. I guess it's worked out. Uh, just a few anecdotes I wanted to get into. So I, I, I interviewed Christian Gonzalez's trainer, and he, was co- he coached Christian when Christian was five. Right, first time he touched the football, he said that Christian looked at the playbook that they had when he was five and like understood it right away. And he was the quarterback on the team, and he he said that he said that like they had talking about the combine. He said they had like a tryout or like a I don't know what do you call it like not a, not a, like no one's gonna get cut because it's what, what's it like called? a placement. Yeah, like a place like when you try out for like a rec league and you're just like getting drafted in a certain place. Like it's I like think that. they call them tryouts, but like that. Isn't evaluation yeah. maybe something, something like, like that. Yeah. Anyways, anyways, they said that he went through that and that he like immediately knew he had him had him on his team and like, like he was smart and he was like really smart and so he he drafted him first round and that thing and then since then he's been his trainer so like I thought that was pretty cool and that's that's what I used in my lead like he's been a football player since he was five so that was pretty cool yeah yeah I mean talk about rags to riches I mean I don't think he was supposed I don't think even the Oregon coaches maybe saw this potential from him when he transferred in I felt like he was just kind of a guy. Like a, um, almost like a filler guy because you had these young guys like Jaleel Tucker and Jaleel Florence who yeah. are like good but developing still. We saw that last year. And I don't know. He just he soared up the draft boards and now like you're saying, probably at least top twenty pick, I would think. I think they saw it like, but I don't know if they expected to be this good. Like, he was in one of the worst teams in college football two years ago. Like Colorado was terrible, and he was probably the only. NFL talent player on that team other than maybe Brendan Rice so like I, I just think that's it's tough to tell they also like brought over his his cornerbacks coach from Colorado Demetrius Martin someone who he's been with for a long time so like I think that helped like he knew how to get the best out of Christian 
uh, one of the things that I found interesting, like his whole family is athletic. His sister Melissa is a, is a, like a track and field runner who's like been in the Olympics, and his and his younger sister also is a track and field runner. Like he he's just full of athletes. Like yeah, I don't know, he has a cool story, and I enjoyed writing a story about him. It was like a year ago or so. Um, that was before I knew like what he would become. Um, so it would be cool to do another story on him. Like I've been texting with his mom to see like if he wanted to. Do another one. I just feel like it's been so. You might have to line up behind ESPN on that one, pal. I mean, I don't know if they have her contact. Like I was texting (laughs) her two days ago. So we'll see. Like I don't know. I was thinking about it. I like to do stuff that other people don't have, and that's something that everybody has. So like, it'll. His story's been has told, but it's a cool one for sure. And I'm I'm happy that he's going to be like one of the top picks in the draft. All right. Well, that's all we got for you. It's a light day. Um, two of our boys are out of baseball, so we couldn't have them on the pod, but. We'll be back next week, um, and I'll have some stories from Vegas maybe to tell.